Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey. Just about 8.02 on a Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning talking about your money, the economy, inflation is another one we talk about here. Jobs reports coming up. So a lot of things to make you a smarter investor. And with me is Chase. Good morning, Chase. Good morning. Well, let's get right to that uh, jobs report. Or should we talk about... Let's just mention it because I was surprised this morning that Bitcoin was down as much as 20% uh, overnight uh, because of risk-off fears. But I, I, I thought it was an inflation hedge. <laughs> you know? I, I just, it, it's not. So it, it's, yeah. it, Bitcoin is going to trade as it's going to trade. It, it, there's no inflation hedge, yeah. in, in my opinion. I, I don't see the correlation there. There's, there's no statistical evidence. It hasn't been around long enough to actually witness an inflationary period. So uh, I think it's more going to trade based off the risk-off type yes, environment rather than the inflation type environment. And, and the reason I'm bringing it up is to just bring out the volatility that you're going to have with that. And it's just a crazy thing to do. So yeah, I and I, I, it's not just Bitcoin. I, I was uh, looking at an article yesterday, and I, I mean, some of these IPOs. Have you seen Robinhood lately? I have not. It hit as high as eighty-five. It's now at twenty-one, I believe. Twenty-one. I saw wow, it. that's a wow. That's yeah. like a seventy-five percent decline. Yeah, and, and I mean, another one uh, that that we looked at yesterday actually was DocuSign. Fell forty-two yeah. percent in a single day. Right. And uh, if you want more information on DocuSign, be sure to go to our YouTube channel, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. You can see the video where we actually break down DocuSign. I mean, it, it's, I'm going to say it's not surprising <clears throat> when you actually break down the numbers for DocuSign. Yeah. Yeah. But there's this, I think, this environment where I think people are starting to realize all that free money is no longer going right. to be the case. Right. And I, I, what could happen, too, is, is it could compound over compound to where just like it begins a snowball building going down the road or down the <clears throat> the mountain because of the fact that the more that it falls the more people get out the more the people get out the more that it falls because there's no reason to stay on to it whereas value companies say wait a minute this is a food company they just increased their dividends just great earnings but when you have these growth companies there's nothing there but the momentum and once that's gone it, it falls quickly yeah and and one <clears throat> thing i'm going to say um <laughs> just a kind of deviating off topic uh but with Bitcoin, we're, we've done that three times. I know. <laughs> With Bitcoin, if you hold Bitcoin and it's down and you have a loss in it, there's no wash sale rules with Bitcoin at this time. So I would highly recommend if you have lots of gains in your portfolio, sell the Bitcoin, buy it back because there's no wash sale. There's not. Yeah. And I think that is extremely wrong. Right. And that's one thing that Congress is actually going for. Right. And uh, I, I think that's right. I, I don't think that's a fair thing to have. You can recognize the loss, then buy it back. Buy it right it, back. It's, yeah. it's crazy. But if you have it, I, I, I would strongly recommend doing that because. Are you saying to sell it, then buy it back? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> well, if, if you if you are an advocate of Bitcoin, I, I would say do that. But personally, I, I don't hold Bitcoin, right. so I'd never do that. But. <laughs> I'm sure some people fill out the chair like, what? Yeah. Chase is saying Bitcoin's a buy? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, You're saying if you play that game, it's a, it's a, a 
favor for you that you don't have to worry about the wash over. But again, right. I think that's another reason that Bitcoin's been under <coughs> pressure lately is the scrutiny from Congress, which I, I think is right. I, I don't think that that's a, yeah. a fair thing that can occur. Yeah, well, let's get to the jobs report. I just want to mention the, the Bitcoin yeah. thing because it was such a surprise this morning when I saw it. But uh, the jobs report looked like a big disappointment uh, yesterday morning with payrolls increasing just 210,000, far below the estimate of 573,000. There were, however, some bright spots in areas that could help ease the inflation concerns. This includes manufacturing, which saw an increase of 31,000 jobs, and transportation and warehousing, which saw an increase of 49,700 jobs. Breaking out the transportation industry, we saw an increase of 26,800 jobs for workers who pick up and deliver mail and packages and jobs in warehousing and storage facilities. Yeah, that, that actually climbed for the warehousing and storage facilities was up 8,800. And, you know, I think this is so important because the infrastructure of moving products and, and building products, if we don't have the products, that's what's going to create yeah. inflation. Yeah. Th this should kind of help ease is what I'm looking at. But uh, two areas of surprise were retail, which saw a loss of 20,400 jobs. And leisure and hospitality, which gained just 23,000 jobs, I, I was pretty surprised by the retail side, as with a busy holiday season, you would expect more workers. And on, on the leisure and hospitality side, the lackluster number comes after a gain of 170,000 in October and 108,000 in September. Even though the industry has added 2.4 million jobs in 2021, it is still 7.9% or 1.3 million jobs lower compared to February 2020. And I mean, overall, I'd say that the report looks better than it shows on the surface, but I'd say it's just okay. And just a small indication, you and your fiance Taylor went to dinner last mm -hmm. night at UTC, and uh, I think you said the restaurant was packed, the mall was packed, and it's just like a lot of people. Yeah, it's like Ami what? You know, Omicron. <laughs> right. But uh, it, I, I will say that the thing is we went to dinner and then we went shopping, and uh, I was a little disappointed. I think it has to do with staffing. Right. Is... Most time holiday hours are 9 p.m. A lot of stores were closed by 8 p.m. So yeah, really? we, 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 couldn't, been, we yeah. couldn't even go to a couple stores or wow. several stores. Yeah, because if they, they open at, um, you know, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, mm -hmm. I mean, 8 o'clock is eight-hour day. So it, it could be. And, and maybe, and I, I believe the retail jobs are there, but just maybe people say, ah, I don't want to work. Yeah, you know, I, and so I, 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 I was just surprised by that. We also do, um, one of our favorite restaurants uh, was saying that they're not opening up inside yet, not because yeah. they, they don't want to, but they, they just don't have the, the cooks to provide enough food to do the delivery, do the outdoor right. dining and the indoor dining. Right. So, right. I mean, there, there's still some some shortages there that, that uh, are impacting a lot of these, yeah. these businesses. And I'd say even the small businesses to a higher degree. And, and that's our favorite uh, restaurant in uh, Scripps Ranch, Yanni's Bistro, which, mm -hmm. gosh, I've gone there for years. And Yanni and Denise, they've run that uh, for years as well. Great restaurant. If you haven't gone there, go to Yanni's Bistro right off of 15 in Scripps Ranch. Let, let's go on to the uh, employment uh, report that uh, comes out on a monthly basis. Uh, can be difficult to understand. Uh, many people aren't aware that the headline data actually comes from two different sources. The first is a payroll survey called the Current Employment Statics a survey of employers, which shows the headline number of how many jobs were added in the recent report. The headline number was just 210,000 uh, jobs. The second is a household survey called the Current Population Survey of Households, which reports a headline unemployment rate and participation rate. Yeah, and, and the household survey uh, showed a much 
rose your picture actually as the unemployment rate fell from 4.6% to 4.2%. So that's very strong. And the labor force participation rate, which I think is going to be crucial. I mean, that that's where, you know, we want to make sure people are excited and, and participating right. in the labor force. That actually rose to 61.8%, which was the highest level since March 2020. So that's a good sign. The strange thing, though, is the household survey showed a huge difference in job growth with an estimated addition of 1.1 million jobs. Uh, I believe this will likely lead to a revision upwards for the 210,000 jobs that was reported by the payroll survey. Uh, I think there's just going to be a meeting in between. Right. <clears throat> and the thing that I, I will say is I think the, the payroll data, I think it, it's better. The reason for that is the household survey does take a smaller sample interviewing just 60,000 households. And you compare that to the employer survey that looks at 145,000 businesses and government agencies, which covers about 697,000 work sites or about one-third of all payroll workers. So I, I think the, as I said, the employer survey, I think that that's going to be more accurate just because right. you're hitting a larger sample. But uh, I do uh, do think I wouldn't be surprised to, to see an upward revision to that 210,000 next month. Yeah, and that could very well happen because that would be like, oh, look what happened. It was, it was different and so forth. Uh, the one thing to I want to say, I mean, you probably remember statistics and so forth. It depends on the sample they take of that 60,000. Is it a good sample? Is it really very diversified across the country? Or is it focused on one area? I mean, that's one thing we can't find that data on. But it could be a good sample. But even with it's a, if it's a bad one, it still says that, wait a minute, 1 million versus 200,000, uh, something's not right here. So, I, and I think... With what we're seeing, I think that that 210,000 jobs uh, is low. There's, yep. there's something missing there. So, and and I do remember. I don't think it's happened lately, but back during COVID, some states weren't getting in all their numbers right away. Now, yeah. maybe with the labor shortage, they're not having their their people doing as quick as a job or something. I don't know. So. Yeah, and it, and the other interesting thing too is, I mean, you, you talk about uh, being kind of late with the data <clears throat> is the survey only is for one payroll in the month. It's kind of that mid-payroll. So it's right. not like you look at the entire month of November. It's just one payroll that occurred. So it, it's it's an interesting survey. It's not going to be perfect. It's also going to be extremely difficult to collect the uh, employment status of every single American out there. So, uh, you know, it, it's not a perfect, perfect survey, but it gives you still an idea of what's going on with the employment world. Yeah, and it, it's something that's... Uh Important. And again, and also, too, I don't know anybody personally that is not working. Everybody I know is working, has a job, self-employed, something, where before when things get really kind of bad, like, you know, one person, maybe two people that don't have a job. I don't know anybody right now that doesn't have a job. Yeah, that, that wants one. That wants one. Yeah. Well, my grandpa's not working. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's uh, in the working age. Category. Well, not even in the working age, but... Wanting to work. Wanting to work, yeah. right. That's, that's where there are, there are some 80-year-olds uh, that are working. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, our president? No, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, un unfortunately, over the uh, years, many times, a small investor gets the uh, left holding the bag as stocks drop dramatically. I worry this could be the case again as inflation continues to rise with a prospect of higher interest rates, which will hurt future cash flows of growth stocks, which will make them less attractive. And this kind of comes back to what we were saying uh, at the beginning yep. with, uh, you know, Robinhood and DocuSign is I, I think you're going to continue to see these growth stocks get pummeled. But uh, institutional investors have drawn more than $2 billion out of U.S. tech-focused mutual and exchange-traded funds in the first half of November. Will the small investor get out in time 
or will they continue to ride the emotional wave and, again, be left holding that bag once again as history has proven? And, and it's such a shame because we talk about it on the Smart Investing Show over and over and over again. Like, oh, well, you guys, you know, you're, you're, you're wrong. And so, well, we might leave the party early. But, again, I always tell people I'd rather leave the par- party early than leave late and be drunk and fall down the stairs and you lose everything, you know. Um, well, and, or we, we just don't even go to the dangerous parties. <laughs> well, I was going to say that. We, we don't leave. We, we leave the dangerous party, but we're at another more subdued party that's kind of like, okay, everybody's, you know, listen to piano music and they're much more calmer. And, you know, and you can still make money on investments. We're not saying go to cash 100%. Yeah. We're saying find the investments that are reasonably valued and they're still out there. And also be patient uh, to buy those investments. Yeah. So. Um, I do want to mention real quick before we go to the calls, by the way, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. As always, that will get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached. I do see we got uh, Jim and Alpine already there, so Jim, you'll be, be first up, but you want to call in, join the show again, 866-577-2473. Well, good news, bad news uh, with oil this past week on the oil front. Uh, OPEC and Russia have decided to increase their collective production by another 400,000 barrels starting in January. And and this will help with the supply side and and help reduce prices at the pump a little bit. Uh, I'm still not super sold on the idea because 400,000 barrels, I don't think, is really going to move the needle too much. I mean, uh, if you look at it in a singular type element, yes, that is a... uh, benefit right but there's other external factors that i, I think, think are called a small step in the right direction yeah yeah we'll, we'll call it that right but the uh the bad news is while we have the capacity to produce that oil ourselves we are forced to have again other countries benefit from our demand and we have to ship it on these tankers to bring it to our country rather <laughs> <laughs> than drilling it here yeah it, it's, it's just frustrating but again we want to point out that uh you know, it could be a movement in the right direction to reduce the price of oil, uh, reduce the price of gas. Um, so we'll see. But what does concern us, too, is that right now Europe is kind of in a lockdown, not a lockdown, but a close down, we'll call it. Uh, what happens when Europe reopens? There's going to be more demand on the world oil situation. So that's yeah. what worries us. Yeah. And it's not just Europe. I mean, there, there's other areas of the world, as you said, that yeah. are being impacted more heavily by COVID than, than we are here in the U.S. And that they're not on the same track in terms of uh, their economy kind of growing as it was pre-COVID. Yep, yep. And I, and I think uh, we could see that uh, change uh, in the springtime. So, yep. and, and I think there'll be a big demand on oil. And actually, uh, some have predicted oil at $150 a barrel. I don't think we'll see that, but I think we could see 100 next year. So unless some miracle happens and we start producing oil here in the U.S. again, but we'll see. It's not going to happen. Uh, I'm trying to be optimistic. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go up to Alpine and speak with Jim. Jim, you are on the Smart Investing Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Well, I'm, I'm uh, looking for a miracle this morning, speaking of the miracles you were just speaking of. Uh, anyway, um, Prudential. I um got some uh, position in that and um, it's been very good to me mm-hmm. uh, and I'm thinking about buying some more and again as always I'm looking at the feasibility of ongoing dividend payments but, uh, so, so is Prudential the miracle you're looking for what's the miracle that you're looking for Jim 
No, no, you spoke you spoke tongue in cheek about a miracle just before you picked up the phone. Right. So, so, so you're hoping that we produce oil here too, is what you, you're hoping for the miracles, actually. Yes, I do. Yes, okay. I do. All right. Uh, and and I think you said you're looking at adding two Prudentials, so you hold it already. Are you up? You down? Where do you stand? Oh no, I'm significantly up. In fact, it's uh, it's throwing my portfolio way out of balance. Oh. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't feel like paying any capital gains on it. But I just I thought about buying some more because it just it seems very solid. All right. And. Well. Um, you know, in these times, I you know, it's nice to have things that are at least somewhat solid. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, in all times, I'll have solid <laughs> investments, and I, I guess I'm just not uh, – I'm more risk-adverse. But let's say you uh, Prudential. Their symbol is P-R-U. Uh, they are in the life insurance industry. Uh, not much uh, float uh, shortage there, 1.8%. Uh, surprise at only 58% of uh, institutional ownership there. I thought that would be higher. Uh, we do have a great start on the P.E. ratio, 5.6. That is still below the industry at 8.3. Price of sales, 0.6, same as the industry. Price to book value, 0.6 versus 1. And then price of cash flow. Now, this is strange. Uh, it's 20.5 versus 3.3. I'm not sure why the cash flow is so expensive uh, compared to the industry. And then they have a nice peg ratio, a price earnings divided by growth going forward of a 1 versus 10.4. Uh, now, no earnings change over the past year, which is surprising to me. Uh, could be they just report earnings maybe, but the, there's nothing that, well, maybe the earnings aren't possible over the past year because uh, of the industry was 123% growth there. Five-year industry growth, 11.6 versus 12.3. Sales growth for Prudential one year is 17.2. Industry saw a decline of 3.5. And the five-year sales growth for Prudential is 3.3 versus 7.2. The five-year earnings per share growth estimate uh, for Prudential, 8.5. Very good industries at 4.3. Uh, they do pay a dividend. Nice dividend here, still up 4.5%. Only used 25% of their earnings to pay that dividend out. Uh, they have grown that dividend for 10 years now. Uh, buyback yield, 5.4%. So they're very active increasing that dividend and also buying back shares. The balance sheet of financial companies, so there's no... Uh, current ratio, we do see a debt to equity looking pretty good here, 0.3 versus 1.6. Uh, net profit margin also looking good for Prudential, 10.4 versus 7.2. And re return on equity, 11.7. Uh, I usually like around 15 or better, but even the industry is only at 12.5. And looking at uh, the current price here for Prudential, well, it's $102.73. 52-week high, $115.52. I'm a low $74.58. I mean, it's had a, a really strong year here. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of that. Jim holding it, but it's up 37.9%. Uh, uh, looking forward, too, for Prudential. I, I mean, gosh, this, this looks quite nice. Estimated earnings per share for December 2022 was $12.42. Would give us a target sell price of $206.17. I, I mean, these are generally the, the types of businesses I like. I, I like insurance businesses. Talked about this in the past on the show, but it, it, insurance businesses write their policies to win. I, right. I mean, they're not going to write underwrite bad policies where they lose money on. So it, it's generally, I think, a very safe business. That it's very profitable. Uh, I, I, I like it here. And, and one thing I would uh, add as a caveat is just, uh, again, one thing with Prudentials, I think they're more in, like, life. Yeah. And that's something that does... Concern me a little bit more. I'm not right. sure the breakdown of, of the policies that they sell. And, and that's one thing I was going to bring up, Jim, was that uh, how much of their business, how, how's it broken down? How much comes from the life insurance business? How much comes from annuities? I believe it's a high amount. We generally like insurance, property and casualty insurance companies because they can raise their premiums. Now, I think it was about six, 12 months ago, 
we had talked about and today on our newsletter, and I think we talked to you on the radio show as well, that life insurance companies are having problems because of the low rates uh, on interest. They, they couldn't really make a profit off it because it's so low. So I, I'd want to know a little bit more about Prudential. I mean, they're, they're looking pretty good on the numbers, but I'd want to understand more how they make their money and could that be an issue going down the road? Now, we should see interest rates rise, which could be positive for them. But still, I'd, I'd want to know more about the business and, and look at the 10Q, 10K to kind of find out more where the money comes from. All righty? Sure, sure. No, it's a good point about, uh, you know, heavily into life insurance versus property and casualty. Excellent point about not being able to raise rates on and unless you sell new policies, pretty much. Yep, yep. So, uh, and you want to watch for that, uh, the mortality, and then also, to cancellations uh, as well. So that, that, that's what you want to look at. And I, and I have a feeling their business is diversified, but I don't invest on feelings. I want to invest on <laughs> looking the facts and like, yep, that, that is correct. But, uh, yeah, check into it before you add any more money to it. And percentage-wise, how, how much does it make up of your portfolio? It's climbed to like 15%. It's, uh, and like I said, it's been a very healthy year, and I, I own a bunch of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I'd probably, at 15%, I'd, I'd still do the research we recommended, but I think I'd look for another insurance company as opposed to adding more to Prudential. I think that would put you over-concentrated. And I, I think you're okay. Well, I know you mentioned worries about selling, and I think 15%, that's about the, the cap we'll look at, like being uh, too heavy. I mean, if it were going to 20, that's when I, I'd really consider pulling back. But at 15, I still think you're okay, as long as the, the story checks out for Prudential. Yeah, I wouldn't sell here, but yeah. I definitely wouldn't add to it, because yeah. then you have a problem. All right, Jim? Well, I, you know, at the, risk, at the risk of overstaying my welcome, I do own Unum as well. So, uh, Which one? Unum, UNM. Oh, uh, another insurance. Yep, I think we have looked at that one before. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah, and I think we did like and, that uh, one as well. So, yeah, so well, it might be time to so diversify what? out of insurance. You might have too much insurance <laughs> in your portfolio and find oh, another industry. <laughs> I've got, I've got a lot of diversification, but uh, Good. Good. I just, I was looking at that, going, man, this has been really a fun year with this company. I wonder if it's going to keep going. Yeah. What are the chances? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I just can performance and all that. Yeah, don't 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 uh, don't 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 uh, add to it. I because it, it feels good. It's done well. I mean, uh, you, you got to really diversify there. Yeah, that's our recommendation. All right, Jim. Yep. All right, folks. Well, uh, have at it and uh, keep going and uh, have a wonderful day. Thanks as always. You too. Have a great weekend. All right, bye bye. All right, that op- opens the phone line eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven. Two four seven three. Let's go up to San Marcos and speak with Phil. Phil, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey guys, uh, I called in before. Uh, we talked a little bit about Viacom, V I A C. I heeded your advice, and I've been watching it plummet. Um, I saw some news, uh, uh, Sherry Redstone, and then I, I'm drawing a blank on the president's name that runs the operations. They did. Uh, there was a insider trading where they purchased quite a bit of their stock at the 35 level. So I made a first round there, and this is going to be. I'm going to get your input on Viacom, but um, I've actually has the stock has continued continued to go down. I've made three. I mean, I've done three overall purchases. Uh-huh. So one at one at the low 35s, it dropped to like. 33 did another one then it dropped even down to like 29 i did i fired a third bullet 
Um, I'm curious, are you guys, um, you know, we're in something together and I saw you guys do a rebuy on something. Mm -hmm. I'm curious on your take on that and what you, first of all, what do you think on Viacom? And then even when you believe in something and it continues to drop, uh, do you still want to try and buy more? See, but not over leverage yourself. You, you know, let me kind of give you like a, a summary of how we invest, because what we do, we run a concentrated portfolio. Uh, so when we step in, if we were to buy Viacom, we'd buy right off the bat 6% of the portfolio. So say we bought it, I'm going to throw out numbers here, at 35. It went down to 30. We would not step in and buy more because we have a pretty good position already. Viacom would have to probably drop down to, I'm going to say 20, around the $20 range before we kind of looked at saying, you know what, it, it, it fell down. It's down about 40%. We really like this business. We think it's being mispriced. At that point in time, we'd probably step in to bring our position back up to a 6% holding. So that's how w how we do it. Uh, I, I'm not sure how you started off buying it. I know some people do a little bit, a little bit. We spend so much time researching something. When we buy it, we say, yes, this is worth 6% of the portfolio. And, and the other thing, too, Phil, that uh, you might be talking about in, in our portfolio that, that, that we did is um, it, it, I think what that particular trade was is actually tax loss harvesting. Oh yeah. So we, we add added to that position. So in 30 days we can sell the first shares and take that loss without running the risk of having the stock appreciate. So we will look at adding, as Brent said, if it let's say it dips down to three four percent of the portfolio, yeah, we, we might if we really like it add back to six percent. Or if there's a decline, we may look at at that tax loss harvesting opportunity to buy back the the shares that we own double them up and then 30 days later we'll, we'll sell the uh the first shares that we bought to, to take that loss and help with taxes yeah so there's different scenarios i'm glad you brought that up chase i forgot forgot about the tax yeah because I, I know what yeah. phil's talking about and i, I think okay i i know he he has an account with us so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, i want to make sure I, I was talking about the right thing you might be like whoa you guys bought a lot no, of it no, no, <laughs> yeah chase that's that's interesting because in, in a way you're uh on that tax loss harvesting you're selling off the higher shares, right, and taking the loss on that and then making the rest of your portfolio at a lower cost average, correct? Yeah, essentially we're, we're deferring the taxes, taking, taking that uh, tax benefit this year, and then, and then we'll continue to hold that position longer term. I mean, Viacom, they're, they've been getting work for like <laughs> I, a lot. I see that. They yeah. finally had their first green day yesterday. I'm at about 9%, and now I, I almost feel like I don't want to fire another bullet. But I was curious to get your guys' input because, you know, all the P.E. ratios and things like that, they look completely undervalued. Uh, and I like some of the things that they're doing. So, I'm, again, I'm curious. Yeah, and I know this is one that we kind of looked at and we decided not to buy it yet, but uh, you bring it up, we may revisit it again uh, in more detail. But let's look at the numbers for you and the listeners here. Again, the company is Viacom. Uh, CBS, uh, symbol is V-I-A-C. Uh, we do see uh, P-E ratio, very good. You're right, 6.4 versus 33.9. Price of sales, 0.7 versus 3.1. Price to book value, 1 versus 3.7. We do see price of cash flow also looking very valuable at 14.4 versus 19. Now, the company does not have a PEG ratio, which, again, is your price earnings divided by growth, so I'm kind of curious why they do not but uh, we'll see that going forward on the earnings uh the earnings over the last one year are up 127 percent better than the industry up 109 percent 
Five-year average, 6% versus 8.1. The sales for Viacom, actually, with a one-year, did change by 5.9%. Industry was down 04 The sales over the five years have done very well for Viacom, 137 about uh, three times the industry at 42 Now, we do see a five-year estimated earnings per share growth here of a negative 6.3 for Viacom versus 26. So I, I can't wait till Chase looks at the earnings going forward because something seems to be wrong here, which I, I, I just can't see at this point. We do see they pay a nice dividend of 3.1%, only use 19% of their earnings to pay that out. The balance sheet, we've got a current ratio of 1.7 versus 1.1. Debt to equity looking very good. It's 90% versus 360% for the industry, so I like seeing that. Uh, also, two intangible assets, they got 35%. That's below the industry at 55%. We do see a net profit margin of 12 above the industry at 10.5. Return on equity is 16 versus 11.4. And even return on capital is good, 10.8 versus 9.9. Chase, what, what do you got going forward here in this company? Yeah, I mean, to, to kind of quote Phil here, he said uh, they've been getting worked, and uh, they definitely <laughs> have. Current price here, $31.07, 52-week high, $101.97. The low twenty eight dollars and ninety cents. So year to date, they're down about fifteen point four percent. But again, off that high tremendously. And I, I believe they, yeah, they, they were the ones that kind of got wrapped up in that hedge fund that yeah. was like buying. I think he was buying the options. It, it, it blew up on him. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of craziness, and it, it looks like Viacom's kind of taken on the the chin since then. Um, but uh, looking at the numbers for Viacom going forward. Uh, December 2022 estimated earnings per share of $3.96 would give us a target sell price here. Gosh, if we use our 16.6 multiple, gosh, having struggles with the uh, the uh, calculator here, it'd give us a target sell price of about $65 a share, which again looks phenomenal on the the earnings side. I'm just very concerned, I would say, with in this streaming environment where it's growing and growing and growing in popularity. Why do the analysts have a estimated growth rate that is so negative on this yeah. this stock? Are they if they can't kind of take market share here, there could be some big problems. And I, I know they have like I think they have Pluto TV. I don't know how popular that is. They have Paramount too, right? Yeah, Paramount. Paramount. I think yeah, that, Paramount that's, Plus. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That, that's their. I think their big big ticket here, in right. my opinion. Uh, and I think. One upside to this is a potential acquisition target, right? But uh, yeah. especially at these levels, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. And and, and, and I are they want... window dressing themselves for an acquisition? Is what I was thinking. It, it could be. A lot of times they don't like to be the uh, the acquired. They want to be the acquirees. Well, they want to be in, and 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 I think there's just a lot of turmoil maybe in the executive suite up there that uh, they can't maybe agree on things or something because cause I don't see anything wrong with this business and, and I, I think it's worth looking more research into it because I think we started looking around 50 I believe wasn't it? Uh, a few years ago actually we started looking at around 19 I want to say 1920. But, but then yeah. we revisited again when it fell and I thought it was yeah. around 50 uh, Phil I'm glad you called because now at 31 is like well you know, and I think before we said well there could be more more to be let out of the bag here. Maybe this is it. I and uh, and they do have some good assets there. I mean, you, you talk about Paramount. I mean, they're creating the content. Uh, CBS, um, it's more of a platform, I would say. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't I don't know if CBS produces any content. But the point I'm trying to get across here is 
I, I worry about, you know, kind of the, the linear TV, the, the broadcast studios, like the actual station owners. I, I worry about that type of business. As long as you're producing the content, it's not going to matter if it's streaming or if you're selling it right. to, you know, the, the studios. I, I, I like that they produce their content. And I have heard that, like, local news is going to be something that's going to make, going to survive. And I believe, and this way I want to check into it, I believe they have local stations as well. So I, I you know, so the, the, these are things that I'm kind of asking a question format that you're going to answer because if you get the right answers, uh, I, I don't think I'd buy Percentage-wise, Phil, how much is it making up of the portfolio? About nine. Nine, yeah. So I would definitely not add more to it, but I would do more research on it, do some more reading on it. Uh, I'm not sure when they reported earnings, uh, when their last conference call was. Maybe they have some good news on there. September 30th was the last time. Uh, go through that. We, we love reading the conference calls, listening to them, because they'll bring out things that can answer questions. And this may not be fixed uh, you know, next week, next month, maybe even next year. But, gosh, if you buy it, and we'll just say in five years from now, it goes up to 60, not even the 100 it was at, you, you know, you, you doubled your money practically. So I, I, I like looking into this one. And I'd say kind of to, to play on your words there, Phil, I think you might be out of bullets to, to use on Viacom. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, 9%, yeah, because you'd hate it if there is something that, that does go wrong with this business. You don't want to keep adding to it. Uh, you know, you, you might not be able to kind of buy at a lower, lower price. But, you know, if... It goes down from let's say thirty to twenty five, but two years later, it's, uh, again at fifty, even well, you still yeah. did pretty well on did it. Well. So, uh, I'd say be patient with it. Uh, after doing a little bit more research, it, it numbers on the surface look quite good, though. Yeah, and also too, being what? a client of ours, if we buy it, you're going to be really overcome. When you guys listen in on their um, calls. Does Sherry Redstone, does she sound savvy, intelligent? That's my only concern with the company. And I, I don't She's know. She's not though. as savvy as her dad. Yeah, I yeah. feel like Bob Backish kind of runs right. the show there. I don't, I've not listened to their yeah. calls. Have you listened? To no, I haven't yet? either. So, because yeah, we haven't gotten that far yet. We're doing the deep research on it. We kind of looked at it before. I remember, like, eh, it looked pretty good, but we weren't quite ready. Uh, I probably would want to, to now. Uh, but it, it, it's an interesting point. That's one thing, too. When you read the conference calls, you can't get out the tone of their voice and stuff and what you're saying. And that's why I sometimes like to read them and then listen to them um, because you can get different mannerisms that they're talking. Like, you're right. Like, gosh, is she as sharp as her dad was? I don't know. <laughs> so, good point. Yeah, and I appreciate all the advice, guys. <laughs> All right, Phil. Well, well, thanks for calling and, and uh, you know, do some reading there on uh, on, uh, on uh, Viacom there. Already, I will. Thanks again. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye bye. Yeah, that, that does bring up an interesting point on Viacom, though. Is I, I, I do wonder kind of that control, like how, how much control does Sherry Redstone still have of that company? Yep. Um, as I said, I, I do think Bob Backish is kind of heavily relied upon to run a lot of the show there, but right. uh, I, I know it's kind of a. I don't like a, almost like a Rupert Murdoch type event where mm -hmm. the family's so in control of it. Would she consider mm -hmm. selling? You, yep. you know, and does she have that power to kind of trump um, the shareholders? And that's one thing that, that does worry me about some stocks is when the the founder, or the family uh, that, that owns a company, if they can kind of overcome shareholder questions, that could be very problematic. Yeah. And and, and, and these are things, again, when we talk about do more research on it, these are the type of research you want to do. Because it is curious. I mean, how much does she own? What, who, what's the executive side? What are they doing? I mean, it, it, 
I don't know why this company's struggling so much, why it's such a great buy now, apparently by the numbers, but that's when you want to do the research because you want to make sure that's not going to be at 15 a year from now because the prom continued on. Uh, so you got to find out what the problem is. Why did it go from 100 all the way down to 31? And I, I don't know if it's the case, but uh, you know, one thing that I hate to see is when when companies issue uh, super like voting stocks. Yeah. And the basically you can't kick the CEO out. Right. Because they're the founder. Like I don't want to lose my company, which I understand. Right. But as a shareholder, I mean, what if the CEO goes off the rails, drinking all the time? Oh, yeah. You can't kick me out. <laughs> I, I own all the voting power here. <laughs> I, I don't Do you like know they have voting power. I, I'm just saying, saying they, they generally, right. if I see a stock that has right. kind of the, the super voting shares, I, I I don't like to really go near it because that that CEO has too much power. And if there are problems, you, you can't get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. So phone numbers uh 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And as always, they get you for that unbiased no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. And actually, look over, all lines are open. Oh, actually, you know what? Actually, it's just about time for a financial planning segment. Did you have something? Yeah, I was just going to yeah. say real quick before we go to Harrison, I, I just want to, again, kind of promote our uh, YouTube channel one more time. I, I think a lot of callers and, and listeners of the show that, that like how we break down these stocks, we, we do this in a video format now on YouTube, so you can go and, and, and see different stocks. And we even go in a little bit more detail because we have the time to really focus on that company uh just go to our, our youtube channel smart investing with brent and chase we'll see just type that in on youtube you'll see all the videos we've done it's also our news segments are on there as well mm -hmm. but uh, the big thing i think people are starting to like is that that smart investing weekly stock analysis is yep. what we call it and uh, the recent one we did was docusign we've talked about rivian there's been some some good heavy hitting names that, that we've discussed. And, you know, here on the radio, we talk about the numbers. On the YouTube video, you can actually see the numbers we're looking at. Mm -hmm. So so that that is, I think, very helpful because, and again, we, we explain the numbers, but I think to see it while we're talking would, would be very helpful. For you. And the cool thing is on radio, you can't rewind us. On YouTube, if you're watching <laughs> it and you miss something, you can just kind of push back on it. So well, it's kind of helpful if you're, you're trying to learn more. They can't go to the podcast afterwards. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. All righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. All lines are open. But right now, let's talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. I'm in San Diego. I think this is the first time I've been in San Diego on a weekend to, uh, since the middle of October. So I know. Yeah, we're, we are a travel expert. <laughs> Happy you are. Harris and I are delivering some Christmas trees today for our uh, charity. Oh, really? Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. That's right. So after this, I'm heading over to Chase's. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm very happy here today that we're talking about the power of tax-deferred growth. I mean, this is such a strong thing that I, I, I think people get so tied up in short-term uh, you know, gains that they, they, they don't think about the power that the tax deferred growth. So explain to us. Yes, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while, but um, the other day I read an article and in it, it basically was saying that 401ks are bad because all the growth that you have inside of that 401k is ultimately going to be taxed as ordinary income instead of receiving the preferential capital gain treatment. So because of that, 401ks are no good because you're you're being overtaxed on it. Um, and that in itself can be a compelling argument if you don't really understand how that growth works and how it changes over time. So when most people think about retirement accounts, 
on the 401k IRA side, you get uh, a deduction or it's pre-tax, so you get a tax benefit now. With a Roth account, you have tax-free withdrawals. So in other words, you're choosing, do you want your tax benefit now or later? But I don't think people fully appreciate the value of the growth inside of those accounts. So investment growth either comes from capital gains in the form of appreciation, um, dividend income, or interest income. Now, dividend and interest income is going to be taxable when you receive it, whether or not that money is reinvested or withdrawn or distributed to you, just the fact that you have dividends and interest means that you have taxable income for that year that gets reported on your federal and state tax return. Capital gains are taxable when they're sold, so you have a little bit of control of when that is going to happen. Um, interest income is taxable as ordinary income, where if you hold a position for over a year, then its capital gains and its dividends will receive a lower tax rate, the capital gain rate. But if you hold that position less than a year, then both the capital gain and its dividends are going to be taxed as ordinary income. So on the federal side, that preferential treatment might mean that your capital gain tax rate is going to be 15 percent, where states, including California, most states just treat all income the same. There's no difference between ordinary income and, and capital gain income. So on the state side, you might have a 9.3 percent tax rate. So together... 15.9 plus 9.3 is 24.3 percent. Now, if you have a non-retirement account or a taxable account, your turnover, your dividend yield, your performance will all determine the total how much taxes you're going to pay. But that rate, when you do pay taxes, could be you know 24, 25 percent. And because of this, if we look at the return that you're having, you could be losing one and a half to two and a half percent per year just because of the taxes you are paying because it's not tax deferred. So if you're averaging 10% a year, well, your after-tax return might be 8%. And the more time you have invested, the bigger that difference is going to be between a tax-deferred account and a non-deferred account because of the compounding. So, for example, if you have hundred grand in a tax-deferred account earning 10%, after 30 years, that could grow to around 1.75 million, where if you have the exact same investment, but it's held in a non-deferred account, now that might be only a million, which is a difference of $750,000. So retirement accounts are very efficient, not just because of the deduction or the withdrawals, but the fact that they are able to avoid taxation on a year-to-year -year basis. And Harrison, these are one of the tools that, that you know, people don't realize how, how valuable they are. They kind of look at the short term of it. Again, you just gave us some samples, which I know when people come in to see you, you probably do a more detail on their own personal portfolio. But it really is a big you know, thing. It's kind of like it, it, it adds it because you know, we heard about the magic of compounding. Will this kind of turbocharge it because you don't pay taxes on that compounding? I was going to say, too, is with that, that tax deduction, if you live in California and you want to retire in, let's say, Florida, I think you are making the biggest mistake by not taking that tax deduction because right now you're paying state income tax. So let's say 9.3% is the number Harrison used. Well, guess what? If you dig at that tax deduction, you're not going to have to pay taxes in Florida when you pull it out. So in California, I mean, the IRA 401k, the traditional methodology there of getting that tax deduction now, I think is so huge because we have such high taxes here in our state. 
and be careful. I think I, I see the people from the Franchise Tax Board coming down <laughs> saying, hey, you're telling people to leave California, Chase. <laughs> but it is so important, uh, Harrison, to kind of look at that. And, uh, you know, these are many things that you do for your clients to show them how to meet their goals and so forth. So thanks for sharing that, and uh, we'll see you on Monday. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson, our CFP, our financial planner, uh, helping out many, many people, getting a lot of a lot of phone calls now because of the way he does it. It's so different than any, anybody else. And we tell people, yeah, if you're not a financial planner, come and see see Harrison first and see what the differences are. Uh, he is available for a free consultation. Uh, go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Or call him at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And he's on a salary. He doesn't sell any products at all. So it really is an unbiased financial plan he does for you. Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing is he does true like tax planning. Yep. He doesn't file the taxes, but a lot of times people make mistakes and then they ask, oh, did I do the right thing? Well, actually, if you would have done it this way, you would have saved on your taxes. Yep. That's why he's there is to really help make sure you're optimizing your tax situation. That, that's what a lot of people like uh, in, in using his services. Yep. All righty. Phone number is here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Lois. Lois, you're on the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Good morning, Brent and Chase. Good morning. Um, I am looking at getting my grandchildren some stock for Christmas. Okay. And I was reading online last night about investing in concrete. Mm-hmm. I wanted your opinion about that. Um, well, there are concrete companies out there. One thing that we have noticed just in general, because of the infrastructure bill that passed, a lot of concrete companies, a lot of steel companies have really become overpriced. Uh, how old are your kids, Lois? Well, the youngest is 10, and then the oldest is 20. 20. Okay, so kind of you might get a different stock for, for each one. Uh, what I was thinking, and, and I've, we've not looked at it, I know that Disney has fallen from, I, I want to say, close to 200 down to 140. I don't know if it's a buy now or not. We've not looked at the numbers on it. But I was thinking for the 10-year-old, maybe get the 10-year-old some shares of Disney if it's a good buy. And, and again, I, I want to preface that because we're not buying it yet in our portfolio we may not buy it but we're just kind of i'm kind of throwing things out here for you for the older one you might want to look at a gaming company uh there's some gaming companies that have pulled back he might have more interest in that because if it's something that they have interest into hopefully they will enjoy it more if you buy a concrete company for a 10 year old i i I don't think he's going to have much interest in that maybe in the 20 year old they they don't really care so try to get a a good investment and again it's got to be a good investment uh got to have good value to it but something that they might have some interest in because they deal with it on a, a personal level. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I think it's an awesome idea. I think, uh, you know, that's something Brent would do for me when I was a kid. Well, actually, he did it for me in high school. I was, when I started to learn about money, I was like, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's awesome. But I, I do think, uh, you know, not all kids were like me, especially in high school. They're like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. But I, I think Brent's right. If you can find something that they like that – it still makes sense, and uh, you know, because concrete, I don't know, ten year old. Well, what is U.S. concrete? I don't care about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it may sound like a solid investment, yeah. but it might be overpriced. Is my concern, and no, no interest there. So, and and, and also too, I mean, uh, Lois, you can kind of listen to, you know, the show. 
Uh, again, we did just bring out uh, CBS Viacom, which is uh, you know Channel Eight. You know, I, I think mean, they have Nickelodeon, which yeah, you know, there right. you go. So so that could be, and and that one on the surface looks pretty good. I don't know if you heard us talking about it to the gentleman before, but it, it looks pretty good. There could be some problems with it, but again, if they do have Nickelodeon, uh, you know, some of the shows, Paramount, like the maybe both of them would would enjoy it. You know, yeah. so but I, I, I'm not saying it's a great investment. It appears to be worth the research. I mean, it was a hundred, now a thirty-one. Uh, if you're not going to do any research on it, I would say probably worth the uh, roll of dice on that one. Yeah. So, already. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, Lois. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Let, oh, let us know what you get. Let us know what you get for Christmas for him. <laughs> All righty. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. All righty. That does open the phone line. Eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six. Five seven seven two four seven three. It's funny. It used to be that you could actually get these stock certificates and give them uh, at Christmas time. Well, that's can't do that any longer because uh, some of those certificates are really pretty cool. I remember Disney had all their characters on it and so forth. But um, to get yeah. a, a, an email here, I did want to uh, look at here. It uh, says, "Hello guys, I love your show. Can you look at either of these stocks, uh, OXLC or NLY? I own both and made buy more." Uh, and this is from uh, Jeff. So let's take a look at uh, OXLC. I was going to say, what's the other one? Uh, NLY. That's, I think, new. Uh, we looked at the other one before. The Analy- Analy Capital. Yeah, we looked right. at that one before. Okay. So that's why I thought we'd look at this other one because this one is uh, Oxford Lane Capital. So it's a different company as opposed to Analy Capital. So we're going to look at the numbers on that. Symbol is OXLC. They are an asset management company. Uh, nothing on the float on short short to no institutional ownership is showing here. Wow, this is very strange. P.E. ratio 2.2 versus 9.5. Price to sales, though, 2.6 versus 3.3. Price to book value, 1.2 versus 1.8. And price to tangible book value, 1.2 versus 12.7. And no price to cash flow versus 26. Uh, No peg ratio going forward. No earnings per share or sales for the last one year or five year. I'm not sure what's going on with that. Uh, we do say, and I, I think I know why that uh, uh, Jeff likes this. I see a dividend yield here of 11.2%, only using 22.4% of their earnings to pay that out. That sounds very attractive. Uh, we do see that their balance sheet, again, a financial company, so no current ratio, debt to equity looking good, 0.1 or 10% versus uh, 90%. Uh, we do see a net profit margin, 99% versus 32.8. I mean, these numbers are just looking way too good to be true here. I, I almost feel like maybe they sold off some big asset or something to get such high numbers, which uh, what you'd have to do here, Jeff, is go to the financial statement, go to the income statement, go to the balance sheet, see some uh, big moves there somewhere. Uh, any earnings going forward in this, Chase? It's very strange. I'll, I'll give the current <laughs> price here first. It's $8.04, the uh, 52-week high, $8.53, the low, $5.00 and 15 cents market cap it is quite a i'm gonna say it's smaller company it's just 947 million mm. is the current market cap unfortunately I, I i checked multiple sources here there's not even an analyst tab that i can go to to get estimated earnings wow. per share so I, I i'm out of information here <laughs> yeah out of information i mean and, and, and jeff what you can do here is, is i'd want to read more about the company what did the company do how they make their money uh, it doesn't appear to be a REIT. Sometimes you sign, see REITs here. It doesn't appear to be that. It seems to be an actual management company. Are they like a BlackRock, I, I wonder? Well, yeah. Or Black? 
I always get them confused. I think Blackstone. Yeah. No, Blackrock. Blackrock. Okay. Blackrock. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's. <laughs> yeah, yeah Blackstone is, is something else. But Blackrock, in a very small scale, Blackrock yeah. is like, I think, trillion dollars. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Uh, this one is, is very small. So, and I know it's attractive is, is that dividend, but there's just very strange numbers here. And what you have to do, Jeff, is kind of spend some time with the financial statements. I would also, again, listen to the conference call. What is this company doing? Uh, you know, because it just seems with that dividend yield of what I say was 10.8%, uh, too, too good to be true. And some of the numbers, I mean, the P-E ratio 2.2, that kind of tells me, I think they sold an asset or something. That's just, you know, two years to get back what you pay in the stock. That's not normal. Yeah, it's it's very weird. Yep. So, alrighty, a phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Jess, I don't like this. Well, I just looked it up. So Oxford <clears throat> Capital is a closed-ended fund launched and managed by Oxford Lane Management and invests in fixed income securities. Okay, fine. Problem here. The fund primarily invests in securitization vehicles, which in turn invest in senior secured loans made to companies whose debt is rated below investment grade or is unrated. Oh. So they're loaning to these companies that, whew. Yeah, very high risk. Yes. yes. So uh, yep. that's probably how they're getting the high yield. Is it's almost more of a debt instrument than a than an equity, I'd say. Yeah, and and I see the the high for the stock was about eight to fifty three, the low five thirteen. If it would go back down to that low, it would take you years to get back yeah. even that high dividend if they didn't cut the dividend. So and be careful with it. Very high risk. Yes, yes. Alrighty, uh, let's go to San Diego and speak with Adam. Adam, you're on the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks for being there. Absolutely. I have a question. I um. I work for a company, and they're pretty big, um, ABM. And uh, I was kind of thinking of maybe investing in that company, but um, on the other hand, I didn't know if it was a good idea, so I wanted to see what you guys had to say about that. Well, it, it, it can be if you don't go overboard. Sometimes employers will give a discount for buying their own stock. Uh, you do know a little bit more about the company because you go there every day. Be careful about thinking you know too much about the company because things like executive suite can go on that you don't know about. But you want to be careful about going overboard. And this happened to people many years ago, about 20 years ago with Enron, where it was such a great deal. And everybody's working there, putting the stock in their 401k. Well, when things fell apart, they lost not only their job, but they lost their investments as well. So I, I think to have some in that, if it is a good company, the fundamentals look good on it, it's worth it. And especially if they do give you a discount for actually buying their own stock. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Brent there. I mean, it, it's... I think a hard thing for a lot of employees because many times you don't go to a place that you hate. If you hate working there, you're probably not going to work there anymore. <laughs> so a lot of times I think people kind of build that affinity to the company. Oh, it's a great stock because it's just a great company, and I get it because I work there. And without looking at the fundamentals, you kind of build that emotional tie to it and kind of start to, I think, make excuses for it. And sometimes it works out. Don't get me wrong. People right. that you know worked at Qualcomm in 19... 19- 95 <laughs> they did great with did buying well. stock. <laughs> that's true <laughs> <laughs> but other people as you said with enron that that was very dangerous you lost everything right. so uh you got to always break it down based off the fundamentals and make sure that the the investment makes sense on top of it being a great place to work yeah and and, and what, what, what's a company that you work for uh adam ab you know that was a good thing that you said about not trying to think too much because um abm um is working with uh, Biomed Realty, which I think is Blackstone, or I think you may even mention them a second ago. Oh, BlackRock. And 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, people are showing up, like, at some of the buildings we take care of, like, um, um, and they're talking about, like, selling them, you know, to take a look if they want to buy them and things like that. I mean, I don't understand what's totally going on, but I don't like the idea of buildings that I take care of or my uh, colleagues take care of being looked at to be sold. So Yeah, that, um, that, that could be an issue. And I, I'm having a hard time having it load here. What does ABM do? ABM, uh, they uh, they take care of buildings, um, their facilities management. Um, their their core statement is building value. Is that their symbol, ABM? Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, I think I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ABM Industries, right? Okay. Well, let's just we got about two minutes here. Right yeah, now. I think but, we can run through it real quick. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah, see. Sure. Yeah, come up with some numbers here for us. Um, there we go. Okay, so real quick, yeah, P.E. ratio 21 versus 26. Price of sales 0.5 versus 2.6. That's good. No price of tangible book value. That's not good. Uh, pig growth uh, is 0.8 versus 6.3. That's positive. Uh, just looking at some quick numbers here. You get a dividend of 1.7%. Use 35%. Uh, the balance sheet, uh, debt to equity, 50% versus 110. So that's positive. Uh, they have grown their earnings and sales over the last one and five years. Uh, very quickly, I don't know if you have any comments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, comments here, Chase. Yeah, I do. Uh, current price here for IBM, 4473. I mean, it's off the 52 week high, 5548, but also off the 52 week low at 3631. I mean, the future earnings look, look quite attractive for ABM as October 2022, I see it's $3.47. Would give us a target sell price of $57.61. I mean, trade at a Ford PE of about. Uh, 12, 13 times. So that that's a positive. And also, too, we'd be going out to 2023 here shortly. So on the surface here, Adam, I mean, I mean the numbers look pretty good for ABM. Uh, of course, we always say do more research on it, but uh, I, I think it could make some sense, especially if you get a discount to, to buy some stock yeah. here. And Adam, the other thing you do, too, is listen to the conference calls. I mean, you can listen to your high bosses, your, your CEO, the CFO, what they're talking about because maybe they'll tell why those buildings are being sold or why they're not being sold. So uh, I, I, I listen when I'm walking. I listen to my car and so forth because we have about 30 companies we, we listen to. Uh, but you can find them very enjoyable because of the fact that they're telling you what's going to happen in the future with your job, so to speak. Right. And how do you access that stuff? If you actually go just uh, even Google or you go to the company's website, uh, there's an investor relations tab. A lot of times the conference call and the earnings presentation, the SEC filings, that'll all be on the investor relations part of the uh, company website. Okay, so if you get a public company, they're going to uh, make sure that's accessible on their website? Yeah, yep. legally they have to. They have to. Okay. All righty. That's great. Uh, um, will you guys be interested in touching on Blackstone a little bit? Because we have an interesting relationship with with them through, I believe, a private company they call Biomed. Hey, think- yeah, this time we don't have time. I know he just gave us a, the symbol or the signal that we got about to probably 15 seconds left here. Before yeah, we call in maybe next week yeah. or the following week, and we'll be back here. So yeah. uh, we'll be happy to take a look at Blackstone. Okay, sounds good. Okay, Adam. Thanks for calling. There's a closing bell. So. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. 
smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investing tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing Brent Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening to the show today. We'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. Have a great weekend. Talk with you soon. To think that I did all that And may I say Not in a shock